Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast where we talk about issues relating to health, fertility, and parenthood. On today's episode, I am joined by Ellie Weinstein. Ellie is a social work therapist who has worked in a psych hospital, intense outpatient clinic, and currently works in a community clinic in Queens. He created Elevation to fill a need to help those in struggling times and add some extra inspiration and motivation into everyday life. Ellie has been featured on the Kelly Clarkson Show, IVF Warrior, Fruitful, Breaking Taboo, and on multiple podcasts ranging from parenting, relationships, mental health, and infertility. His main goal is to help people on their journey to add support, care, empathy, expertise, and insight. He runs events, seminars, and individual coaching on topics for mental health awareness, public speaking coaching, relationship coaching, and confidence boosting. Welcome to the show, Eli. I've been so excited to speak with you today. It's been a while since we last talked when I was on your podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. You know, I can't wait to to share your episodes coming out in the next couple of months. And, you know, I think we clicked right away and you have this great energy. So I was so excited when you asked me to be on your podcast. I was like, this is going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way for us to begin is to let's hear about your struggles. You mentioned in the pre-interview about um, ADHD. Yeah, you know, I I struggled with ADHD as a kid. Um, Wasn't sure what it really was. It was just that I had a lot of energy. I was singing, I was dancing, I was bouncing off the walls always curious, always um, creative and just filled with energy in life. And, uh, but that got in the way of school sometimes because I couldn't sit down for minutes uh, because I was just always excited. And uh, my teachers used to say that I was always singing and dancing, 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 dancing. And um, it took a lot of time and self-reflection and therapy and a combination of medication when I was younger to be able to kind of hone my skills and utilize it to use it better for me versus it taking control of me. I I really love that. Thank you for sharing your experience with that. When did you find that you were able to, to really grasp that concept of being able to use it to your benefit and figuring out what your strengths were? I would say when I was like 18 or 19, 17, 18, 19, Mm. when I was studying abroad, um, I kind of stopped taking medication, um, not like to spite or rebel, like, ha ha, I'm out of the world. Uh, I'm not gonna take medication, but it was more of like, let me see how this goes. And I noticed that when I was focused and totally into something, I could really be all in. Um, and then with the things that I wasn't, I learned how to navigate them to make them more manageable and digestible so that I wouldn't get so distracted And since then, you know, I did really well in grad school, top of my class. I've been a therapist, you know, being able to focus in session. Um, But it doesn't mean it doesn't come up or creep up once in a while. Um, I get, you know, antsy legs or energy and sometimes it's about using that and diverting the energy to something positive and productive versus it taking over and letting it kind of consume me and take advantage of me. Well, that's a fantastic way of putting it. So it's always fascinating for me to hear from people who have it who are now adults to see, you know, what worked for them and how they were able to take that challenge and respond to it. Yeah, I, I think and live. I think it really comes down to each kid and each family. 
you know, some cultures and families will never have their kid take medication. And if that works for you guys and for any family that's listening, good for you. If it doesn't, also good for you. I would say the biggest key is having support from your family, having a good combination of therapist, life coach, whatever wellness person you're reaching out to for help. And it's also about failing and learning from your experiences about why and how, and then growing from that experience. You know, I've had long nights of crying because I didn't do well in school and the pressures um, of being so emotional. I was a very emotional kid, not an angry kid. I was like very in touch with my emotions because that's a symptom of ADHD is emotional regulation or dysregulation when you can't control it. Um, And it makes me a better husband, a better father, a better man because I'm so emotionally in touch. When I was a kid, I was bullied for that. So, you know, I learned from that experience. I grew from that experience. But now as an adult, I look back and go, this is my superpower. Like I'm Superman um, in some way or another. For me, I'm able to make it my power compared to other people who haven't t- in, uh, tapped into those things yet, whether it's emotional and uh, well um, awareness, whether it's sociability, whether it's because I had to learn social cues so well growing up because I didn't have them. I used to always interrupt conversations. I used to talk over people because of my impulse control was not in control. Um, now I have great social cues and I can read social cues and facial expressions and body language because I had to train myself so hard to be quote unquote, part of the regular functioning people, um, which I don't like the normal word or crazy word. I don't like that as a therapist and a human being. I think we all have something, but uh, yeah, it's been a journey, but it's about learning from that journey and having the support to help you on that journey. That's fantastic. Eli. I love that. And definitely growing from those experiences and um, using that to your advantage. I love how you describe it as your superpower. So the other reason I had asked you onto the show was for you to talk about the fertility challenges that you face mm-hmm. with your partner. Yeah. And, you know, often as we go through these experiences in search of answers and often we don't know how to advocate for ourselves, I'm I'm curious to hear, you know, what you and your spouse were able to to do along the process of of becoming parents in terms of advocating for yourself. Yeah, it was it was a, a very shocking uh, experience. Still is when we look back on it, because infertility doesn't go away. Like we're still struggling with it, even though we have a kid. You know, it's still something that's on our mind. It's still not so easy to say, "Hey, we want to grow our family." And we have to, then we have to start the whole process again, the whole nine yards, doctor's appointments, shots, pills, um, you know, uh, it's a really difficult place to be in. It's not just a snap of the finger and it's there. And one of the biggest things I think that my wife and I figured out was what each other needed when we needed something. But that took a conversation and communication that we never thought we would have to have that conversation because no one expects to be or struggle with infertility when you're dating, you're not like, so are you infertile? Like it's not a conversation you have when you're dating someone. And then when you get married, you expect that if you want a family, it'll, it's going to happen. Why wouldn't it happen? Um, That's a big assumption that we all have. And I think it's really about talking with your spouse, your partner about what they need from you, what you need from them and making that happen. So my wife really utilized like support groups on social media her friends who went through infertility. Um, I utilized um, some of my friends, but guys don't really talk about this so often. And it's a little taboo in the Jewish community uh, to talk about this. Not any, it's, it's starting to be more of an open conversation. 
And that's when I started actually talking about infertility on my social media platform to be a support for other men and women who struggle with infertility and don't know how to talk about it or broach the topic. Hi, I'm a therapist. I went through infertility. Let's chat about it. So that was my outlet. Um, I journaled a lot. That was really one of my outlets. And, um, you know, we have to find our things that work for us. I love that you shared all of those tools. Communication is always key. and Very underrated. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Oftentimes people find out along the way that uh, maybe we should have been talking to each other about this rather than assuming or just maybe not addressing it, hoping that it would it would go away. But yeah, communication is definitely uh, a big deal, especially as you go through all these challenges of infertility that you can't really prepare yourself for no matter how much you sort of dive deep into social media and talking to other people. It's one thing to hear about it and kind of mentally prepare for it, but it's a Mm -hmm. whole other, it's a whole other game to actually be in the thick of it. Yeah. And you are right because fertility doesn't just go away. And often people think, well, you already have a child. So that kind of solves that. And that's all, all said and done with, but oftentimes it's not, there's still a lot of things that, you know, that you're left with all the trauma of trying to conceive. And then what if you want to grow your family? Then you're right. You still have to go through that whole process again. And there are a lot of people and there are a lot of people who are blessed with not, you know, having first infertility and then not having infertility issues ever again. I have plenty of friends that their first child was IVF or IUI. And then all of a sudden their second, third, fourth kid was natural. So you never know, like it's not, but you still in the back of your mind are worrying, do I have to go, will I have to go through this process again? And then there are friends of mine who had no issues the first child and had secondary infertility and and, and then the third child also was infertility. So you just don't know what is going to happen and you're never going to be prepared for that. So it's about really being honest with yourself and your spouse and partner to just talk it out with no judgment and open space to feel. Yes. I love that you added the no judgment part because that is, yeah, that's one of the cornerstones of mindfulness that I like to, to preach is that to be aware, be aware of oneself, but also to have that, that added aspect of not judging oneself because that can just make things even more difficult. Mm -hmm. And you touched upon the whole male perspective a bit about how you didn't have that many male friends to talk about it because guys just didn't talk about it. Um, so I'd love to for you to go into that a little bit more because I've had many, I've interviewed so many women to hear their challenges, but it's less often that I get to speak to the male partners to gain their perspective. Mm-hmm. So how did you navigate the the challenges that you faced in that journey? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird place to be and kind of just shed light for me the, the sad truth of the vulnerability that men are so afraid to have um, because of whether, whether a sense of, of vulnerability of weakness. Uh, I'm not, I'm not part of that kind of camp. I'm very big into open openness and talking. Um, I struggled with that as a kid growing up. Like I was the only guy who shared and everyone's like, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, Which is why I had a lot of friends who were girls uh, because like that was just my, I was on that wavelength. Uh, And then growing up, I have found a core group of friends that I know I can rely on, whether it's three or four guys that I know that I can turn to for anything and everything, no matter what it is. 
And that has helped me through my process with infertility. Um, and also I was, you know, a really big support was my brother. Um, he, he, they didn't go through that, but my brother's uh, about six years older than me. And, uh, now that I'm an adult and I'm not an annoying kid, um, <laughs> and young, you know, he's, was a teenager and I was annoying and bothering him cause I, I, I care about him and admired him so much still do. I wanted to play with him. I was annoying as a kid. Every little brother can be. Um, so now that we're kind of like older in this stage of like adulthood, married kids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he was a huge support for me. Uh, and I can talk to him about anything, uh, just like he can talk to me about ev- anything and everything. Uh, my parents were unbelievable for me, but it, it is a hard place to be as a guy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and now that I'm more in tune to that world, um, there are so many support groups and so many accounts on social media that I never even knew before because I wasn't aware of the issue before I went through infertility. Why would I know about the community? Like you don't know about mental health community until you're involved in mental health community. You don't know about the podcast community until you're in the podcast community. So it really was an eye-opening experience to talk to other men and to hear their stories. And once I started talking about it on social media and people were contacting me and we were talking back and forth, that was a very therapeutic process as well. Um, So go out and find Google things. It's a very amazing world we're in to find things. Yeah, right. That's wonderful that you had your older brother to to be able have as your source of support you know we probably still can't stand me but i don't care (laughs) (laughs) well we all need a support network and sometimes it's sometimes it can be family sometimes it's strangers that we meet on social media that totally get what we're going through Mm -hmm. um but it is important to have someone outside of your partner to just be able to somebody yeah yeah um you you had also touched upon how infertility is taboo in uh, for being Jewish. And, you know, how were you able to, I know you had your support already, but in helping other people deal with not being, not feeling like they could talk about it because of perhaps race, because of religion and how to sort of face and, and navigate that. Yeah. I love that question. You know, I, I wrote a blog post on, I think it's fruitful which I think now is going out of business um, and uh, IVF warrior, I believe about the, the Jewish or religious aspect of infertility. And it's not that the Jewish community is so closed off and we're like blind to the idea. It's just this concept of the intimate thing between husband and wife, mm-hmm. right? It's an intimacy thing. You don't talk about your sex life with other people. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you? So you're not going to talk about infertility, but the funny thing is, even though it's a weird thing to say funny thing, if you go to most infertility clinics in New York city, a lot of the bigger ones are mostly Jewish people. There are like two or three massive fertility clinics that are run by Jews, Jewish doctors, um, and so many Jewish women and men going there for infertility. And then you sit in the, in the lobby and they're all there. But no one's talking about it because why would they? So right now, I would say in the past five years, there have been a few organizations that have been opening the door to communities talking about it more um, in synagogues, um, whether it's seminars, workshops. I've been on a few of them. I've spoken on a few seminars and workshops. Just bringing up the topic, talking it out. When my wife and I, when, when my wife uh, was diagnosed with PCOS years ago, So it was on the back of our mind that maybe we might have infertility, but PCOS looks different for each person. It's not so cut and dry. Um, 
And in the synagogue that we were involved in when we were first married, they had a weekend talk with a panel of community members who went through infertility. And that opened our eyes to people we never knew having infertility. Why would we? We're not sitting at dinner going, hey, do you, do you have infertility? No. Well, that conversation doesn't come up. It's not like who's playing in sports this week or, you know, how do you like your apartment or where are you going for the weekend and how's your job? The conversation doesn't come up in normal conversation. So to know that other people were going through it, that was a massive support and made my wife and I more aware of the importance of us talking about it online, mm -hmm. on social media. Uh, we did, I recently did an episode with my wife where we talked about it um, together on an episode um, and really bringing more awareness to this topic so people don't feel alone. And the topic might forever be taboo. I don't know. It might not be something that is really talked about very often individually, but as long as people are talking about it in a bigger picture, people might have the ability to feel together and not alone. And that's what we try to do. And that's what a lot of communities are trying to do right now. That's, you know, that's fantastic. And it re resonates very much with, um, so my background, I'm Asian and in the Asian culture, uh, much like with also the Hispanic culture, it's not something that's really, mm -hmm. it's also taboo. And there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, for myself and my own experience, it was, it was awkward and a little bit, uh, I didn't want to open up too much about it with, yeah. with my family just because of how it would be looked upon. So, you know, every conversation, every single conversation helps to be able to open up that dialogue and destigmatize it and to help other people feel less alone um, and heard in the process. So now you are a father mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk about that transition into fatherhood and the anxieties that come up with being a parent and how you have found this new season of life to be for yourself. Yeah, I, I also, you know, notice a theme as well that on mom accounts or parenting accounts or mental health accounts, um, I always get this like, oh, you're the first dad I have, the first father, the first male. Um, and I either take that as a real big pride or really nervous that I'm hopefully I don't set a bad tone for other dads. But, you know, when I first started being a father, my wife had nine months to prepare for being a, being a mother. She, it was in her body. She was appreciating it. She was accepting it. I knew it was happening. I was involved. I was there. I was watching from afar, but when the baby was born, it was snap. We're now into it. Um, so I think a lot of struggle for parents as a therapist, the things I've noticed and, and my own life, the adjustment the change and the shock that happens that now you have to take care of another human being and your schedule and routine being totally flipped all over the place um, is something that's not very easy to deal for anyone, no matter what change it is. And now it's a screaming child that needs you at all hours of the day. So um, I actually had my first panic attack about two and a half months into her life, which made me appreciate the fragility of mental health and that it can happen to anyone. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you or that there's a problem or that you're insane or crazy. When stuff hits the fan and it's hard to deal with, it can get to you. And if you don't deal with it, it can make you snap a little bit here and there. And it kind of made me take a hard look and take a step back on what I needed for myself. And I would say that for all moms out there and for all dads listening, I highly recommend paternity leave for any father. Um, 
because that forced me into really stepping up and showing up for my child because I was the only one who was there. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't call my parents for help when I freaked out and the baby was crying for hours, but, or my wife, but it meant that I had to step up and show up. And that is half the battle of being a parent. Even maybe I would say 75 to 80% of the time is showing up and, and, and being there. And it wasn't like I wasn't involved before, but now I had more confidence in myself of being a parent and being a father that I knew I could. It was the confidence booster that I needed to give me pride and to help me fall in love with my daughter. Um, and that was just a, a life-changing experience. Okay. I'm going to just say, I love that because, you know, I'm always talking about the importance of the pause, the power of the pause. And, and you touched upon it in that you had to take a step back and realize that you needed to do X, Y, Z in order to, to be comfortable and, and deal with what this change was in your life. And I love that advice of, of taking paternity leave so that you can fully experience it and, and show up as a parent, because you're right. You have to go through the experience to really, to really be a part of it, you know? Um, so I'm, you know, I'm glad that you were able to take that time to do and, that. And everything's changed. And now my daughter's like just everything to me. Like it, it's a really bad thing that she has me so wrapped around her finger. Um, I am <laughs> such a daddy's, you know, she's such a dad. She's not a daddy's girl. She's really mommy's girl, but I'm a girl dad and I'm totally bought in. I didn't think I would be, even though I love girls and I love like I, the idea of having a little baby girl. But now that I have one, it's just. I can't get enough of it. I am totally bought into, I will be at every tea party and every event <laughs> and I will wear every tutu that she asked me to wear and every single wig and whatever ridiculous costume she wants me to wear. I'm totally in, but I would be honest and not, not going to lie. When she was first born, my wife was totally in love from the second she saw her, the second she held her. I loved her, but it was different. And then after paternity leave, I just could not stop holding her and kissing her up. And mm. it's just some a bond that is so beautiful. And as a father, we are blessed to be able to be involved in that way. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be, the opportunity is there. You just need to take that step into being there. The child's there. The child's not going anywhere. You need to step up and be there if you want to be there. And it's so magical and beautiful. It's something that I will never, ever change for the world. That's so, so beautiful the way you, you put that. How old is she now? 21 months. Oh my goodness. That's she is a your... wackadoodle and so silly and she is just <laughs> so yummy and ridiculous. It's hilarious. She yeah. says the most ridiculous things. It's so funny. Yeah. That's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite age. It's like one and a half to about, well, on, you know, right now my twins are, are five. So up until right now, they're still, they still got me wrapped around their little finger. <laughs> as long as she doesn't take my wallet, my money, I'm good. She's tried. Like, She's tried. Yeah, it's like hanging yeah. out. And all of a sudden I see her holding credit cards. I'm like, oh my goodness, where'd you get that? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, so I want to take a moment to pivot over to your work for a bit. Yeah. I would love to hear how, you know, what are some ways that you help your clients transform the motivation and inspiration that you give them into a reality. So I think as a therapist, there's this misconception um, of the old style therapy of like the Freudian couch 
How does that make you feel? Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Please share. But no real guidance. And there's a balance here. And it's a not easy balance. And it takes practice um, of not giving advice. Because as a therapist, you do not give advice because it can blow up in your face. You do not tell clients what to do because it is their life. It is something that they have to come to their own conclusion. But it doesn't mean you can't push and, and give feedback and motivational interviewing to get them there to come to their own senses. And it really is a learning process that it's about being in tune to listening to what your clients are saying. And when they say they want to change in whatever way they say it, and you, it takes time to learn their language and how they're saying it and their body language and their facial expressions and their tone, you jump on that and you help them and push them in that direction. It doesn't mean it always works. And, you know, I heard this uh, story years ago by a guy named Charlie Harari. I think he has a book called Unlocking Greatness. Um, and he talked about inspiration as you're in the middle of the night in a dark, dark forest and you don't know where you're going and lightning strikes. And for that millisecond, you have the ability to look where you need to go to find your direction but then it's on you to take that direction and find yourself and find your path because inspiration doesn't strike very often. And when it does, you need to ground yourself, look where you're going and then take your path and go for it. So as a therapist, it's really being in tune and waiting for that opportunity and being patient to be there that when your client wants to make that change, you are there for that change. And it really takes practice and time. It is not a one-stop shop for each person it changes per person, how you do it, their age, the issue they're coming for. It is exciting and and can be uh, really hard at the same time. Mm-hmm. I know I gave no practical advice in that. I know that. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but that goes in, in, in sort of accordance with what you were saying in the beginning. <laughs> but no, I that description of the lightning and the force, that was, that was you know, that really brought it together. And, uh, that's fascinating. Um, and so the other thing that's on your website is that you, you help people in a number of ways, different services and things like that. And I was curious about how you help people see the power that they have within Mm. to then cultivate it and use it towards achieving their goals, you know, and you can do that in terms of like infertility or just life challenges. Um, I'd love to hear how you, you do that. Yeah. And, and stay tuned. I'm rebranding everything very shortly ah, okay. uh, because now I'm an LCSW on my, my website to be more official and therapy minded versus coach minding. Uh, Cause now legally I can do that. So it's exciting. Um, so <laughs> fun time, stay tuned. But I would say this um, when it comes to finding goodness in yourself and the power in yourself, a lot of times we forget the strengths that we have because naturally as, as human beings, we're always looking for patterns and themes. Our brains are naturally in tune to that. We're always looking because of safety and, and, and survival. And a lot of times we forget to look at ourselves for that as well. We lose sight of what got us to where we are, which is ourselves. So a lot of the work with someone is to find daily things that we are proud of, of ourselves, And I'm not saying this is not fluffy, like look in the mirror and tell yourself a mantra. If that helps you, amazing, go for it. If that doesn't, what I would say is this, 
take a time to look in the mirror and find one thing that you actually think is valuable and important that day. It could be as simple as your eyes look really nice today, your clothes, your hair, your spirit, your smile. You did something really great that day, but you have power in you because you wouldn't be where you were today without that power. You wouldn't. And if you can't, haven't found it yet, it takes time and searching and self-reflection to understand what you bring to the table. Each person brings something unique to this world. It could be very minuscule, which makes big impact in the world, or massive on massive levels, like celebrities and wealthy, rich, you know, CEOs of companies that are investing so much money, hopefully, in good things for the world. But we all have some power to bring to this world. We just need to find our little corner that we can make a difference in. And that takes experience and time. Amazing wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. And you're right. It takes, uh, I love that idea of standing in front of the mirror and just thinking of something that you feel good about, about yourself. And every little time that you, you do that, you're building off of that. It becomes a little bit easier, especially that if that first time is super hard for you. And it's a journey. You know, years ago, I had a mentor. Uh, his name is David Lesson. He's a psychologist out in Israel, uh, a friend of mine. Um, and he said, you should create a Venn diagram. You know, I know we're going back to like fifth grade math here. Uh, like the Venn diagram with two circles that overlap and you write what you are good at your strengths, characteristic strengths, physical strengths, personality strengths, and your weaknesses in two different separate circles. And the middle where they overlap is what can you do in this world that you can now bring to the table? And that that formula changes throughout your life. For example, as a parent, I now realize I have more patience than I thought I did for certain scenarios. I add that now as a strength. It doesn't mean now I have patience sitting in traffic for hours. That's not going to go away. I do not do well in that scenario. But with children, with my child, with my wife, I've learned that I have more patience than I thought before. When it comes to being a therapist, I wasn't a therapist 10 years ago when I made the diagram. So I need to adjust it. So one of the biggest things is now you need to realize that your strengths change and you learn life lessons throughout your life. So your impact and power can be different depending on your age, your life scenario, your financial situation, and even where you live and who you're married to or who you're living with and what your family looks like, even what culture you come from or religion and put that all into one equation and you can come down to two to five things maybe of what you can give to this world. And that is your guide. Like that's your path. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. I, you know, I told you I was going to ask you to share uh, a takeaway or lessons learned, but I believe you just gave it to us. So thank you so <laughs> much for, <laughs> for giving the audience an actionable tip that they can, that they can use to help them respond to life in a more mindful manner, because that, that tip definitely asks you to, to look within and be more aware of oneself. And that informs how, you know, the next steps that you take, the, the little small steps that eventually lead up to big change in your and life. And use a pencil, by the way. Use a pencil for the Venn diagram. So ah, nice. Yes. Don't yes. use marker or pen. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of my podcast, I always ask my guests to share one gratitude for the day and the in the spirit of moving 
one's mindset into a state of positivity. So I'd love for you to share yours. Well, I, I am very much a big proponent of gratitude. I practice it every day. I pray every day. So I'm a very gratitude filled person. Uh, so the gratitude that I'm feeling today is uh, the support from my wife. Um, I think, you know, being on this journey of being a therapist is not easy. Uh, long hours, sometimes not great pay in the beginning of your job. Um, but now that I've passed my licensing exam and I'm now able to do my own thing, her amount of support of the test taking and the being there through my ups and downs, my fears, my worries, and now holding me up and supporting me through the successes is something that I look at her and admire and inspires me every day to how I need to show up as a spouse when she needs something. So that's something I'm really grateful for today. Oh my goodness. That made my heart melt. That was so I'm really very wife, beautiful. By the way. I'm very in love with my wife. <laughs> I, you couldn't tell. You could not tell from that. <laughs> um, so also I'd just love for you to share before we end the show, how our audience can connect with you. Of course I have a podcast, the dude therapist also being rebranded, got a cool logo coming out in the next couple of months. Um, we're hopefully, uh, Josephine, your, your episode will be up soon. Um, and I have, uh, an Instagram account, Ellie Weinstein underscore LCSW and uh, a website elevation.org and, uh, reach out to me whenever you can, however you can, I'll see if I can help you. And if I can't, I'll really try to help find someone who can. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for opening the conversation on the issues of infertility and ADHD and parenthood. And it is, it was such a pleasure to reconnect with you, Ali. It's been, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Responding to Life podcast. For more info on today's guest, check out the episode summary. I'd love to connect with you more, so be sure to check out my website, respondingtolifepodcast.com, for links to previous episodes, articles I've written, and interviews I've done on mindfulness, meditation, infertility, and parenting. You'll also find free video meditations on my site and on my YouTube channel, Josephine Atlery Meditation. If you'd like to book a one-on-one -on -one session with me, you can do so on the website. You can also follow me on Instagram at Josephine R. Atlery for daily inspiration and mindfulness tips. Finally, I'd love for you to join my Facebook groups to connect with a supportive community and receive greater insight on how to incorporate mindfulness into your life. Check out the Mindful Parenting Group with Josephine Atlery or the Empowering Your Fertility Group. Thanks again for tuning in today. I look forward to sharing more conversations with you on how to respond to life in a more mindful way.